Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When you're a parent of a young baby, the idea of him or her putting themselves to sleep might sound like something out of another universe. After all, you're used to getting up at all hours and aligning with your baby's body clock instead of your own. But what if by some miracle, your baby could wake up in the middle of the night and go back to sleep again without crying out for you. Vina Parry is a paediatric sleep consultant based in Sydney with over 15 years experience in the early childhood and education sector. Hi, Vina, How are you? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. That does sound like a miracle to me. And certainly with my babies, I never thought that would be possible. When is a baby actually capable of going back to sleep on their own? To be honest, unless you've got a sleep unicorn, I don't think it really is possible. They always need help. Uh They're not meant to go back to sleep on their own. Like they're not really. And, And that's the thing I say, like, that's why I guess, and no judgment to any parent, but this whole idea of just letting them sort of cried out or things like that, I don't really agree with because I don't think it's physiologically possible. This term of self-soothing, it has so many different, um, everyone will have a different definition of what it is, basically. And I think it's really important to know that self-soothing, yes, it is this whole idea of babies um, go to put themselves to sleep, but I don't think it's really appropriate to say, oh, okay, they can just do it. And that's what... So you're talking about teaching them how to do it. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. So what does it actually... Let's start with the end result. What does it look like when a baby puts itself to sleep? Starts to self-soothe. Yes. Okay. And look, I have to say, I'm going to be completely honest. I hate the term self-soothing. It's another thing I just don't really use. So, well, well, no, no, no. I just I like to think of it as self-sleeping skills because it is a skill, and it's not something children have naturally. I don't really think they do because it's not as we said, it's not physically possible. So it's normal for a child, depending on their sleep cycles and age, to wake anywhere from 6 to 12 to 24 times a night, depending on their sleep cycle, okay? And as adults, you know as well, we go through different phases of sleep, whether it's the light or the darker, uh, the deeper phase. And basically what I'm trying to say is that what happens with an infant and a child is they have shorter sleep cycles than an adult. And basically, when they come into their lighter phase of sleep, instead of resubmerging into the next phase, they're not going to do that because they don't know how. Um, again, unless you have that unicorn. And basically, what happens is once they learn gentle self-sleeping skills or you help coax them into their next cycles with you know, lots of hands-on love or comfort or whether it's through co-sleeping or feeding or whatever – Basically what happens is the end result is they will stir from a sleep cycle and they might go, oh, oh, grumble like an adult does, roll over and go back to sleep. Right. And that's technically what we're talking about with that. But what I want to say is that most children are not going to ever do that on their own, really. How do you get them to do it? (laughs) And look, and this is the thing, it's different for every child, but what, and this is why I do a personalized approach. I don't just say, okay, you know, pat every child of this age to sleep, or your child is six months old, they should be doing this nap and this nap. Basically with the skills, you want to be responding 
to exactly what the child needs. And based on your journey up in sleep at this point, it might be completely different. I might be dealing with a family that has had the child in a cot from birth kind of thing, or it might be a family that's bed shed. And and the personality of the child is always going to be different too. So it might mean that you start out with contact sleeping and then slowly withdraw that. Or it might be something where you have to go in and do a lot of hands-on comfort. Or it might be looking at their body language and like, and that's something I do a lot, looking at body language, pitch, tone, personality, signs, cues, and just reading the child and saying, well, this is what I think they need. Mm-hmm. And then also it's it's a fair bit of, you know, trial and error too, but you always start with the most comfort possible, always. And so is the idea that you're, um, you're working up to whatever you're doing to help them sort of link those sleep cycles, is the idea that you're going to work up to some place where you can just not be there? Not even not be there. Like I work with a lot of families that still share a room with their child. It's more that they just aren't constantly being woken where they, the parent feels it's no longer necessary for them to be awake. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's at that point where they're realizing they're seeing in their child, oh my gosh, they're tired during the day, they're cranky, they're this, they're that. One of the worst I ever saw was a child that was doing one to three hours a night. That's it. Yeah, right. Like, and we all know that's developmentally not appropriate. Um, it was an older child too, so that's a massive. You, can you sleep debt is just like monetary debt; it accumulates. And this baby was way, or this toddler was way in the red. You know, it's not even about like my kids sometimes have a bad dream or anything like that. They they might need me in the middle of the night. I mean, they've I've touch wood. I've had <laughs> my kids have been sleeping. I mean, my first. I had help of, because, you know, when it's your own baby, you do. And I remember speaking to a colleague about my first child's sleep, and he did have medical issues too. And then with my second, I did gentle skills. I mean, I we contact slept a lot, and there was, again, reflux and things like that, dummies, things like that. But um, with gentle skills, he slept through from eight weeks. So I did have the unicorn with my second. Wow. But he sometimes wakes up. And this is what I want to say. It's not about you not responding and not being there for them. It's about knowing when they need it and when they don't. And possibly getting a consistency where they're sleeping exactly more without you than with you. Well, it's more without intervention. Yes, that's Yeah, without intervention because you could still, like, again, I see parents, some parents that co-sleep happily and they do it for extended periods and never have a problem. And then I see others that are waking. had a family two weeks ago. The baby woke 35 times. Wow. Yeah. I think there was a little bit of an, like, maybe ENT thing going on there too. But, you know, and he's now down to two wakes a night. What if um, your bed sharing and your baby refuses to self-soothe or refuses to go back to sleep without nursing, even though by their age they may not need the milk anymore? Well, look, if it's not a problem for you to continue but doing it, keep doing it. I, I don't What if it know? is a problem though? That's when I would say you want to sleep help. Yeah. And look at it because it is it's a daunting process. Um I call them the booby monsters. <laughs> um I've done a few lives with a few um, clients in the US and stuff and yeah, the booby monster comes up a lot. I see a lot of booby monsters and bottle monsters, but I guess what I would say is like if you're finding that it's becoming destructive to sleep patterns then you slowly want to remove that association and replace it with other things too so focus on comfort and responsiveness and 
maybe if of age, you know, sleep aids, sleep toys, things like that. Something that kind of takes away that middleman because I guess like it is, I see a lot of habitual behaviors with recurrent nighttime wakefulness or just recurrent disruption to sleep. So basically if you're feeling like it's becoming really habitual and they're not actually doing it for the calories or things like that and it's starting to affect your or your little one's sleep, that's where I'd say look into it. Like you know, because I think the thing is a lot of people as well want to do things and they go to these generalized guide, like anyone can find a sleep guide online, right? But the thing is, it's just one doesn't fit all with children. It just doesn't work and you need to look at the child. And that's why I'm really trying to advocate this approach because basically it's a mixed bag. The reason I get the results I do is because I address the actual needs of the child. I don't just say, oh, you will, child's this age, they're doing this, try this. So how do parents go about finding the right sleep consultant? Because as you mentioned, um, you've got a personalized approach, but there are, there's lots of websites, there are lots of consultants. How can a parent tell if they're an attachment parent that the sleep consultant they're going to will respect that? I'm not saying that there isn't, but to my knowledge, there aren't lots. I know there aren't many in my area. Like, I don't think there's many in Sydney, really, that take an attachment. Like, they're kind of one way or the other. I'm not saying that other consultants are doing cry it out, but I just mean that they're not as familiar with the practices and they might not support it or they may never have done it themselves. So what I would say is that do your research, and actually look into it. And then, you know, there's, there is that other side too of the coin where, you know, staunch attachment parents say that any type of sleep skills are the devil. And there's a lot of professionals out there that just say don't even attempt it. Like it's a, it's a whole ruse. And that's what I'm sort of trying to change the whole ethos around it because I think it can be done, you know, and it doesn't doesn't mean that you're leaving them alone to cry or things like that that's not to say that if you change something on a child they're going to let you know about it but what I teach is how to love and support and be there for them so they're not getting upset and not getting distressed while you're also achieving a little bit of independent sleep skills and I guess you know you just want to look and see like do your research see if they're attachment parenting friendly look at their social pages are they talking about a lot about self-settling and things like that or are they talking about crying or no one really wants to do cry it out or things like that and I guess yeah you just just be well informed. Vena, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Not at all. Thank you so much. That's Vena Parry. She's a paediatric sleep consultant based in Sydney and we'll put more information about Vena and the work she does in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.